Hello and welcome to Leaving Egypt. I'm Jenny Sinclair. And I'm Al Roxburgh. This podcast is for you if you want to explore the unfolding vocation of the church in these times of unraveling. We'll be doing two things, reading the signs of the times and sharing grassroots stories. We'll be having some brilliant conversations with fascinating people and we'll discover how local expressions of God's people are contributing to the reweaving of hope in our common life. We do hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaving Egypt. Our wonderful guest today is Nick Graves. Nick is calling in from Purley in South London in England. Nick's um, pastor of the Old Lodge Lane Baptist Church. Nick, welcome. So the first thing that we want to do whenever we have a guest on these podcasts is get a little flavor of who you are. So tell us a little bit about your journey through life. Uh, Give us an overview of you from your perspective. Okay. Hi, Al and Jenny. It's lovely to be with you today. Um, So I I am married to the lovely Louise. I've been married for 27 years now. And uh, we have four girls. Um, So... (laughs) My wow. life is interesting in a house with girls. And um, we also have a, a grandson yeah. as well. And uh, we've been here in Purley for the last 13 years. Um, before that, uh, we came from the northeast. So a place called Stockton-on-Tees, which is near Middlesbrough, for those of you who know the UK. And um, I, we've been part of various churches um during that time i grew up uh, when my dad was a pastor uh, of a church and um we kind of grew up in pentecostalism and then also into the the charismatic church and then finally into the baptist church so it was quite an interesting experience um growing up in all of those different traditions uh, we grew up in a very a strict household um our parents were uh, my parents were very strict um about lots of things so um uh, but it was a happy childhood you know and uh, i enjoyed growing up in the church um i came down to london for a few years where louise and i uh, lived for the first few years of our marriage i was a i was a youth worker in islington working with kids in gangs and uh, the church there met in a disused pub and I had my youth club in the beer cellar um, of that disused pub, which was a a good time, but we realised it wasn't particularly a very safe neighbourhood to bring up um, our first daughter who was born down there. So we moved back to the northeast Um, and I struggled to get a job. I wanted to carry on in youth work and in ministry, but uh, that wasn't happening. So needs must, and I ended up working in a factory uh, that made crisps or potato chips, as you guys in North America would know it. Um, they discovered, they discovered Al and Jenny, chips. that um, I can taste things that only one in 300 people can taste. Uh, so I got a job as a crisp taster. <laughs> that was my job, five days a week, um, tasting crisps. Um, so there's there's not many things that I don't know about crisps and um, worked in quality control there and it carried on being involved 
in the church there. Um, we we came out of the the charismatic the local charismatic church and found our way to a Baptist church, and uh, we then started a, a work with homeless uh, homeless people and prostitutes and drug addicts. Um, we just invited them for a meal every Monday morning. We invited them for a fry up. And uh, we had no idea who was going to come. But the first day that we opened, about 30 drug addicts, alcoholics and prostitutes turned up. And just that's what our ministry was for several years, uh, just working with these guys and just getting alongside them and loving them. And then eventually um, I felt God's call to come into full time Christian ministry and came down to Purley uh, to, uh, to attend Bible college here and to take on my first pastorate, and I just didn't leave. So, Nick, you, uh, to put it plainly, you're the pastor of a local Baptist church. That's right. Yeah, that's my job. Yep. And a lot of people listening in on this uh, podcast mm. are going to be people just like you who are working inside ordinary mm. local congregations. And um, we want to listen a little bit about the story of your presence, your ministry there at Pearly. And one of the things that this podcast is about, it's called Leaving Egypt. And it, it it's, it's coming from the sense that we've lived inside a distorted story for a very long time that is unraveling at so many levels. And be interested in your reflections that in coming to Pearly, and being part of that community, when we use this word unraveling of a society coming apart, where, where did you see that happening in the community in Pearly itself? Yeah, I, um, do you know what? The, the moment that it really came home to me, and, and I've had this sense of unraveling for a long time now, this sense that things are not the way that they should be right now. And uh, what, what had happened is that we'd, um, we'd started this uh, a community meal uh, a few years ago and uh, about 100 people were coming uh, every two weeks to this community meal uh, that, that we organised at the church. And um, a couple of people started coming along to our Sunday meeting um, as a church and only stayed for a couple of weeks because they were just really bored. Um, that it had no relevance whatsoever um, to to their lives, and um, you know the discussion in the church at the time around was, um, you know, what, how how can we make this different? How can we make this? Um, you know, do we need to play different music? Do we need to have shorter sermons? You know, all of those, all of those questions. And, and we played around with it for a while, but it was just such a sadness for me that these people said, we love what you're doing, but Sunday is just not for us. Um, it wasn't that they didn't have just this, this, this longing to connect with God. It was just that Sundays meant absolutely nothing. And they were frankly bored and i'd like to think that's not a reflection on my preaching but um you know that's that's the moment that it really hit, hit home and i think that's when you know this unraveling that you described that really then started to cascade for me 
can we roll back a little bit from that, Nick, and think a bit more about that's that's the picture mm. you've given us from your church perspective of what was happening mm. to the church and what their at- attitude was. Mm. But in the neighbourhood itself, what kind of symptoms of unravelling are you mm. seeing in your neighbours, in the life of the neighbourhood? What kind of signs have you been noticing? So many, so many, many signs um, of unravelling in in our community. Um, you know, we do... Uh, do a lot of work you know, with our community. We connect with a lot of people who are um, really, you know, they're in a bad place. Um, they are, you know, they've been hit by a pandemic. Um, they've watched um, politics fall apart here in the UK. They've listened to the rhetoric and nothing changes. Then they come out of the pandemic and get hit by this huge energy crisis and and skyrocketing um, food prices. And, uh, you know, the conversations I'm having with people is like, it it doesn't work anymore. I'd like to take you back even further, Nick. Can we go back before COVID? Mm. Go back before that community meal. And at that time, even five, ten years ago, what were you seeing in terms of the, big, the beginnings of the mm. breakdown that you're now describing, because I know it. I know you've seen things earlier. Yeah, you know, um, people in the community um, are are searching for God, and uh, you know, I was um, I was at a meeting once, and somebody somebody said in this meeting, the problem with the UK is that the UK is spiritually dead. And I have to say my blood pressure went through the roof at that point in time because I knew that's not the case. I absolutely knew that's not the case. The conversations that I had, people are asking questions. People are asking huge questions. What is the meaning to life? It, you know, is there a God? Um, you know, what is the what is the meaning of my existence? Um, you know, massive, massive questions, you know, and and what part can I play? In that, that was a big question that a lot of people were asking, you know, um, what can I do to, to, to make our community a, a better place? And I, I, I burst at that point in time. I had to say something and I, and, um, I was the next person up to speak. And, uh, and I said in, in a controlled way as I could manage, I said, um, I said, I have to disagree with everything that you've just said right there and then. I said, because I know for a fact that this community is not spiritually dead. They're not disinterested in God. They're just disinterested in the church and they're disillusioned with the church in its current form. People are asking huge questions. Um, We're just not in the right places to be able to hear those questions and interact with them. So some of the questions that people are asking about meaning and purpose Mm. and God, are they coming from a place of, of anxiety, of disturbance about what's go- what's going on in the world are they are these expressions of a discomfort that that they themselves are finding uh, or is it because they're looking around them and they're saying this doesn't feel right things aren't working the way they should where where are those questions coming from sure i think those questions are coming from a mixture of places um you know i think for some people they uh, they look at what's going on around them and they're asking those really big questions but um, a, a lot of people 
are asking the question, certainly that I come across, you know, is that like, what are we here for? It's a really basic question. What is the meaning of my existence? Do I simply live three score years and 10 and then pop my clogs and, and that's it? Um, you know, what is it that's this, this thing with, within me that's, that's calling out for more, that's asking those huge questions um, that I don't seem to be able to find answers for. Um, so, you know, those are the questions that people are asking and, you know, they might not always be able to verbalize them as that particular question. But, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've gone out of my way to do in, in my time here, you know, and, and before that is just sitting and listening to people and just, just talking to them, just being a part of their lives. You know, one of the, one of the greatest compliments that people pay me is, um, is they say, when they find out that I'm the minister and they're like, I didn't know you were a minister. Um, it happened in our, um, in our food stop, um, our social supermarket session uh, the other week. And there was this little notice up saying you could speak to me as the pastor. And this lady spoke up and it shouted in her kind of South London. Oh, Nick, I never realized you were a vicar. vicar. <laughs> I said, thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm interested to know um what what do you think it is about the environment that your neighbors are living in that we're all living in but that your neighbors are living in that causes them to be so hungry for meaning to causes that causes them to ask those questions mm. what's my life about what is it about the culture that we're in mm. that's making people feel dislocated like that do you know certainly in, in my community um it's a for those of you who don't know, don't know Purley, um, most people assume that Purley is leafy suburbia. Um, it might be South London, but um, it's leafy suburbia. So um, the road that you come up to, to to get to where the church is, houses are worth upwards of half a million pounds to a million pounds. There's Ferraris on the drive and, you know, there's some lovely, lovely cars until you get to our neck of the woods, which is a council estate. Um, it's social housing, it's dilapidated, there's high unemployment. Um, the, 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 the local authority had a policy a few years ago of um, particularly putting single parent families up in our community um, because they wanted them tucked away. Um, there's no local facilities where we live. There's one bus. Um, that gets you into into the local town, and it's not always regular. Um, you know, so so when they to to get so in our community, you have people who have um, chosen to live where they live, and they've paid a lot of money to live where they live because they want to be near good schools and near train services into into central London. Um, but right next to them, you have the people who didn't choose to live there; they were put there. You know, for those of uh, you who kind of know about social housing, you get one chance the the council offers you a house. And if you don't take it, you go to the bottom of the list or you go off the list completely. There is absolutely no choice. So for me, um, a lot of people in our community, they drive up the road. They see these fancy houses with people with great jobs and, you know, plenty of money. And then they look at their neighbours and go, something's wrong something's deeply not fair here um 
you know, even if they do have jobs that are on zero hours contracts um, or they're existing on universal credit benefits. Um, you know, and if you don't have a car, you don't get access to, you know, to, to go places and you've either got to walk or catch the bus. Um, it's it's a deeply unfair and it's it's very, very obvious in our community. And, uh, you know, it makes people ask questions, um, you know, and questions about fairness, but also, you know, those deeper questions about, you know, who am I? Uh, what am I here for? Am I just here to to suffer and scrape by and um, and and just to have a, a, a cremation in Croydon Cemetery? Um, you know, these these are huge questions that people are asking on a regular basis. So, Nick, you, um, you're, you're describing, I, I wouldn't say wonderfully, you're describing the effects of the unraveling and what's going on in your neighbors and communities. The question that I hear from a lot of leaders like yourself, people in your place, the question is, but what do I do? Um, and, and what gets attached to that question is, the people of my church are not interested in any of this stuff. What do I do? So what did you do? To, to answer that question, you have to kind of go back to before the pandemic. And um, I had tried everything that I could to change Sundays to make our church more relevant and had absolutely no success with that whatsoever. Uh, we just went round and round in circles. So I actually... I got fed up. I considered quitting, um, but really um, just really felt strongly from God that that was, that was not what he wanted me to do uh, at that point in time. So um, I, instead of trying to invite people to Sunday, I invited um, six people uh, to the church. And we had a meal together and we did that every two weeks. Um, I told them that um, I wasn't providing all of the food. I wasn't doing all the cooking and uh, I certainly wasn't doing all of the washing up either. So um, we just started this, I guess you could call it a collaborative meal. So somebody bought a, a chicken, someone bought roast potatoes, someone bought veg, that sort of thing. And we cooked this meal together and uh, we just sat and chatted and, uh, learn just heard people's stories that was one of the things we did in the early days tell us your life story you know tell us what brought you here um who, who were those people nick who were the people these were people that i got to know in the community who had no contact for uh with they, they weren't ch attending the church but uh, these would be people who i would describe as yeah people of peace these were people who um i'd got to know who i think liked me you know who I could easily engage in conversation with, uh, and it just felt very natural to say, hey, let's have dinner together uh, once every two weeks. Um, so they started coming, and that, that was in the November. And actually, by, uh, by December, that little group had grown to about 12 people because they were inviting their friends, saying, you know, this is really great. You know, we get to do this. Um, and then over time, I guess, within about... Um, Within about three or four months, actually, we'd uh, we'd hit about sixty or seventy people turning up, 
uh, to do this. And uh, by by the summer of that next year, we were um, about a hundred people. And you know, I I told my church um, that on no account were they to attend the meal. I'd banned them. I said because if you turn up, it'll become a churchy event. And uh, so I'm sorry, but you're all banned. Um, once the numbers started to snowball, um, I had to say to them, look, um, the band's lifted. If you want to come, you can come. Uh, but bear in mind, you know, we're not here to, to pull off a, a church event. You know, this is, we called it Thursday tea. So in, in the Northeast, our evening meal is called tea. Um, and we just called it Thursday tea because it was Thursday and we had tea together and um, we had kids turning, the kids were running around. We put table tennis tables out and a pool table for the kids. Um, actually, people started coming to faith. Um, actually, at that meal, we had um, we had three baptisms and um the, that that wow. caused a really awkward question with the church because like baptisms happen on a Sunday. I said, but that Sunday isn't their church. Thursday is their church. So we should do the baptisms on a, on Thursday. So I managed to win that argument and um, we held a Mexican fiesta and uh, everybody was kind of wearing sombreros and we were eating like Mexican food and we did the baptisms then and there in the middle of the meal. And you know what the amazing thing was that um, people were coming up to me for weeks afterwards saying, I need to talk to you because in that, when, I, when we were watching the people being dunked in the water, as they called them, um, they just said, I, I, I actually just wanted to cry. Um, something deeply touched me in that moment. So mm -hmm. we just got to have some amazing um, conversations and it, and it spurned many, many different things. Um, <clears throat> Some of them were great. Some of them were tragic. One of our young men, so we had um, young people attending uh, and uh, I got a phone call one night um, to say that um, one of our young men had been killed in a stabbing and uh, there'd been a fight um, in, in the town centre and uh, this young man had, um, had been stabbed in the fight uh, and tragically died and his friend... Um, ended up um, going, to, <clears throat> going to jail for his part in that stabbing. Um, and the next, uh, the next time we did Thursday tea, we held a, a vigil because it, it, that's what the community wanted. They felt so conflicted because these two young men made their lives a misery. Um, they were involved in drugs. They were involved with knives. They were involved with crime. Yet when they were here with us on a Thursday, the community managed to, to, you know, they lived alongside each other. And actually these two young men were brilliant when they were with us on a Thursday. Um, they would kind of help get food for some of our elders and, you know, played nicely, table tennis nicely with the kids. Um, but the rest of the time they were kind of terrorizing the neighborhood and the neighborhood was just so conflicted by this because on one hand they knew that a 19-year-old young man had, had lost his life and that was tragic. Um, but on the other hand, they also knew that because this young man was dead and his friend was in jail, their lives were a lot easier and that crime went down, drug use went down, all of that sort of thing. So they wanted to get together and, and process that emotion 
So we just did it really simply. We got some candles and uh, we just said um, simple, some simple prayers. Um, one of the ladies from the church sang, I think she sang Amazing Grace. Um, you know, it was just that moment of the community coming together and processing something so profound and deep. And, and I, did, I did this young man's funeral, um, which was quite possibly the most stressful day of my life because it was gang related. The police were around in a heavy presence and I had, to, um, I had a, a police gold commander on the phone every half an hour saying, how's it all going? They had an armed unit on standby around the corner. They had two vans of riot police down the road patrolling the place. And, and, and I was the one in the middle just trying to keep the peace and tell the police, stay away. If you stay away, it's all going to be okay. Um, and about 400 of uh, this young man's friends and family turned up. And uh, we knew for a fact that they were involved in some pretty serious gang stuff. Uh, we knew that potentially they were armed. Uh, police intelligence was that, you know, that they were potentially carrying weapons, etc. Um, but just by God's grace, just the day went beautifully. It was a lovely sunny day and uh, they all sat outside outside on the grass outside the church and um, they got stoned, <laughs> which made it quite peaceful, actually. <laughs> and just, just the, the, the day went really, really beautifully. But just what a wonderful opportunity at that, you know, just to you know, really kind of grassroots ministry stuff. Um, but it's not something that we could have done or would have been in the place to have done if we just stuck to that Sunday model you know, of church and actually taking the time. Really interested to understand the relationship between what you call the church, which I imagine you mean your congregation, and and this new growing community around Thursday Tea. Because you, you said at the beginning that you banned them, but did were, were they willingly banned? Were they happy to be banned? Did they... At what stage? What happened to them? Yeah. Yeah. What happened? How did you integrate? You said they joined Thursday Tea later on, but how? How was the relation? Is there a class element going on here? Do you know there was there was a class element uh, going on. I think to begin with, they just thought it was another one of my crackpot ideas, and uh, it would probably come to it would probably come to nothing. Uh, but I'd I'd always um, I'd always framed it to them as that this is church. It doesn't look like Sunday. It's not Sunday church. It's not like what we do on a Sunday. But that this in itself is church. Um, we had three values at this Thursday tea. It was eat, pray, love, and um, you know we would just spend time getting to know people. But we always had these. Um, we had uh, it was called the, the prayer letterbox, and you know people could post prayers. Uh, requests in there and that was a good way actually of getting the church uh, on Sunday involved in it but we talked a lot about it on Sunday and framed it this is church it just looks different um so it's it's, it's helpful just to stop mm. a minute and just think about you managed to get a lot of people in the building mm. who normally wouldn't step over the threshold mm. of a church right there's there's things that are preventing them doing mm. that you you made them feel uh welcome and they were in that space of co-owning the meal to start with right and then they brought their friends and they there was there's definitely this feeling that they own mm. the space and you're you're helping to uh characterize the space by in introducing very simple forms of prayer 
I think you introduced a little bit of the Beatitudes. Mm. I remember you telling me once. Um, what would you say to people who would say, where's the liturgy? What's going on here? You know, we understand this is a a way to begin to bring people into mm. the church, but how does this sustain and where does where's the depth? Where's the does it matter about the theology? I mean, what stage is this group at? You know, so you know this this group where um, they were they were a mixture of people. So um, you know, a, a big part of our community um, is kind of people from an African and Caribbean heritage, um, either first or second generation. So a lot of this community have, have grown up in church, and um, this is what I'm discovering more and more in our community is that um, these guys are deeply disillusioned. Um, you know, this is the way that they were brought up, but this is not what they do now. And uh, they have no problems believing in God. And most of my community have absolutely no problem in believing in God. Um, you know, at our community meal, we had um, we had about... Uh, about 10 people from uh, the Muslim community came and, and they actually became some of our biggest, um, uh, uh, deepest friends, actually, part of this this Muslim community. One guy came in, he said, I've passed this church many times and I've never been able to imagine a reason that I would ever darken the doorsteps of a church. He said, but here I am and I'm having a great time. Um, you know, just a wonderful thing. So, you know, yeah, um, I haven't worried too much about um, kind of, I guess, uh, the kind of the, the theology too much of it. You know, this is about bringing people together. Um, this is about bringing to people together um, because of what the Spirit of God is doing in our community. You know, that in itself is, is, you know, is wonderful. We, you know, I started to frame it to, um, our, to the, the Sunday congregation and say, you know, when you come along, um, I want you to worship, um, in this, in this Thursday tea. And I said, by worship, I don't mean singing songs, uh, uh, or raising your hands or, you know, anything like that. But for me, um, you know, worship is, is the way that we respond as human beings to the goodness of God. And we have a we have a room that is rammed full of people um, who are here because of the goodness of God. So so just go spend time with them, you know, um, help with the washing up. Don't do all of the washing up, but go help with the washing up, you know, help with the cooking. Don't do all the cooking, but just enjoy the conversations that you have while you're cooking. Why do you say don't do it all? Uh, because that's the church's default. Um, that's always, that's in my experience, that's always been the church's default. We go we go and do help to people. That's really important, mm. Nick. Please um, unpack that a bit for us. Why is that so important that the church should hold back and not take over? Um, because I think, um, certainly in my experience, you know, uh, in the church we have this saviour complex. You know, we think that we are going to go and save our communities, that we're going to go and, and save people and that um the the job of the church is to is to go and do good to people uh, to to go help the poor people that sort of thing and that's and that's the direction that i guess i instinctively knew that there's no way that we can go down we can go down that route so um this was never meant to be um a a meal that was provided 
and uh, provided by the church that we weren't there to do the cooking. We weren't there to do the setting up. Uh, we weren't there to do all of the washing up. We were there to go and do it with our community. And I think that's the that's the direction that I, I really wanted to take our church and go do something with the community. Let them be um, let them be a part of it and, and make sure that um, if you think you're doing too much, then step back. But go sit down and have a conversation because you know, the community would turn up. These, these young men who uh, were involved in this gang fight, you know, they would turn up half an hour early to help me set up, to help us set up the tables. Um, and they would stay to, to pack away the table tennis table. You know, that would never happen on a Sunday. So, Nick, a couple of questions coming out of that. Uh, one is, what happened to Sunday church as, the, as they began to make those interactions and connections? What, what happened to Sunday church? Or to put it in colloquial, what happened to the congregation? And the second, the second question, what for you are the leadership issues at the core of what was taking place? Let's, let's start with that first one. What was happening to the congregation in this? So um, once... Um, once this uh, this kind of this big gang fight had happened and, and this young man died, um, the community was just really conflicted and upset and you know moved moved by this, uh, and and so were a lot of the kind of the key people involved. So um, we decided um, that what we would do, and there was a lot going on in the community at that point in time. So. Um, and this was just before the pandemic. Um, so we just felt that maybe it was a time just to, we're just going to take a break from this for a period of time. And little did we know actually that the pandemic uh, was just was just around the corner. Um, the pandemic hit and um, there was a lot of uh, kind of other stuff going on uh, in the church at the time. Um, and we sat down uh, one Sunday and just asked the question. It was that Sunday before the lockdown started. And we just said, like, God, what are you asking us to do here? And um, it was a really kind of unanimous thing uh, with the people in the church. Like, God is calling us to do something completely different, uh, to do something completely different with our community. And the first step that... Um, that we took and, and it was a surprisingly easy and painless um, decision to make. The first thing that we decided to do was to uh, to stop meeting on a Sunday. Now, during the pandemic, that was fairly easy um, because of the various challenges um, that were going on. But the church felt um, that God was asking us to step away from Sunday because they saw the difference uh, the difference in experience in the way that they felt the God, the spirit of God moving on a Thursday and it did not translate to Sunday. Um, you know, mm -hmm. one was vibrant and full of life. One of them that somebody described it like two grapevines. Uh, one was a, a, a skinny grapevine that only had one or two grapes, but it was on a trellis. Um, and it had been there a long time. The other grapevine was a wild grapevine that had no trellis and it was spreading off in all sorts of different directions, but it was full of fruit. And that's how they described the experience of the church at the time was that, um, you know, that it was it was 
it was an easy decision to make kind of like we want to be where the energy is where where the spirit of god is at work so if that means for us leaving sunday um then that's what that's what we're going to do and and that's where we've been actually ever since is that we don't we don't meet on a sunday we we meet during the week can i also ask about um the people who who were in your congregation i think it's about 30 or 40 people at, at the beginning and after you banned them from the initial six people coming to the meal, I think you said to me that, that they prayed for that. You asked them to, to pray for it. So they were involved, but not involved. Is that right? And then lately you've been saying that uh, the, the way that you kind of modelled, um, you know, being with people in the neighbourhood, again, not taking over, saying, let's cook together, I'm not going to do it for you and listening to people, hearing their stories. You, I think I'd love to hear you talk a bit about how your congregation members have somehow picked up some of those practices. You, you were telling me that they themselves are now listening and dwelling with their neighbours in that kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this kind of goes, uh, speaks into Al's second question as well, kind of about, you know, about kind of leadership issues. Um, you know, the, because because this this contrast was stark, um, you know, and and it was not lost on the church. It was it was impossible for them to to dismiss um, that. You know, this Thursday was was full of life, and and Sunday was not. And actually, people were starting to to, to gain more spiritual growth through being around on a Thursday, even though there wasn't a sermon being preached. And, um, you know, that, that they started to learn to, um, that actually the benefits of sitting and listening to people uh, and just hearing their stories. And, you know, um, I guess I, I, over there, over the last couple of years, it just, I guess, coached them might be the right way to um, just say, you know, look, learn to listen and don't formulate the next question in your head while they're answering the question that you've just asked. Um, you know, and, and just go and be be a part of them, uh, and, and just and actually learn learn from them. You know, um, one of our um, one of our kind of uh, elders, uh, elder members of the church, um, he had been involved in um, in speaking to someone and was really stuck on an issue, and he was he was talking about this with uh, with one of our one of the the people from our community. Um, who uh, who come along to who come along to to things in the church, and uh, he didn't. Uh, he'd been kind of talking with someone who was struggling with alcohol addiction, um, and he didn't realise that this lady she's a um, she's a Hindu lady, uh, but he didn't realise that she was a drug and alcohol um, counsellor, and uh, she spoke to him. And she said, she said to him, "You have to let this person go. Uh, they have to hit rock bottom, and they haven't hit rock bottom yet." And he was just really blown away. And he came to see me and he said, um, I think I just heard God speak to me through a Hindu mm. lady. Mm. Just deeply transformational stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wonderful that, that they, they got to hear, that he got mm. to hear that. So, um, yeah, so, you know, over time, um, you know, the church has, 
um, has has learned um, has learned to listen. You know, we're we're not a big church. Some people some people could handle the fact that we don't do Sunday. That's just too much, too much for them. And um, but that's okay. You know, that's that's just not the place that they're in right now. Um, but the people who um, who are who are with us now, um, who are part of that original Sunday congregation. Um, they are vehement that there is no going back. Um, they do not want to go back to the way that things that things were. And uh, we've now kind of embarked on this really um, active um, process of um, of discerning together where God is taking us. So um, rather than looking to me as the leader, um, and, and this is something this is something that I've had to learn to do um i love being the ideas guy uh, i love being the guy uh, with the vision but i realized that that's not sustainable you know um that makes people reliant on me as as the pastor um to come up with the plan and and to, to lead the church through this um, but what we're discovering actually is by taking that time uh, we've learned how to listen to our neighbours. Now the time to to learn to listen together, uh, to to say like God, what are you doing in our community, and what is it that you are inviting us to join with you in? And um, it's a process that we've been committed to for the last the, the last couple of years. Slowly, slowly. I'm really struck by a lot of things you're saying, how resonant they are with some of the principles within Catholic social thought, which is one of the things that we're doing in this podcast is to reflect on how that works in in the way that we organise church, the way we understand society and so on. One of the things that you're talking about so clearly is the principle of subsidiarity, which is not taking over, you know, allowing decisions to be taken at the lowest possible level and not, um, you know, a, a higher authority shouldn't do what a lower one can do. So that that sense of holding back, don't finish the washing up, don't do it all, notice, keep an eye on yourselves, don't, don't overdo it, you know. And that also, uh, I've noticed um, the practice of Ignatian listening in when you were, you were describing um, don't formulate the answer when somebody's speaking. You know that that's a, a a clear part of the Ignatian practice of listening that you receive as gift what the other person is saying, because in a sense that's a a clue of the many faceted ways that that God works in people's lives. And if you if you're busy, you know, formulating what your answer is going to be when somebody's sharing their their really valuable story, there's something sacred about that 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 needs to be received as gift. That, so that's really powerful as well. And and the way that you're um, living together, you're traveling together, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to your neighbors, that active process of discernment, that posture that you are, you're adopting, which you have discovered through this, you know, weird few years, this process that you've been through, which has been quite painful at times, you've ended up really with a, a set of processes of practices that formed you into a really authentic Christian community. It's um, quite remarkable. Without doing any training or programmatizing, you know, you've, you've described it a bit as coaching, but in a sense you've been learning on the job, you've been doing it, and then 
you've been modeling it and then some of your congregation have been picking up on it and doing it themselves and then you're doing it together. It, it just sounds like a, a really beautiful thing. I'm just wondering about what you were talking about, the two vines, and when you talked about the second vine with lots of fruit and spreading out all over the place. I want to just give us a sense of how the fruit is manifesting in the community, you know, out, out with Thursday tea, out with the, the churchy bits, but how are you seeing the fruit changing people's lives, you know, without using dramatic language like social transformation and mm. terms like that? You know, what, what's actually happening in people's lives as a result of all this? Yeah, so um, what, uh, when, we, when we came out of the pandemic, uh, when we were in the pandemic, one of the things that we, um, we've been approached by uh, our local authority to start something called uh, the One Stop Food Shop, um, which was, a, I guess, a social supermarket where um, people pay £3.50 and uh, they get um, about 20 to £30 pounds worth of fresh chilled tinned and frozen food. Um, and uh, in the pandemic, we realised that that was something that we had to do, but it's not something that we wanted to do by ourselves. So uh, it was at that point that we reached out to our community and said, you know, please, you know, we can't do this uh, by ourselves. We uh, we need you guys to do it. And and that's in a sense when things really snowballed is that, um, you know, the pandemic made that, you know, we had people who were shielding, who couldn't get involved, that sort of thing. But there was loads of people in our community who already knew us um, through the work of Thursday too. We said, yeah, we're, we're up for this. We will We will help you. Um, so, uh, we did this and right from the, right from the get go, this was never a, um, this was never going to be a, a church run thing. This was the community coming together. So, um, we've been running that for the last two or three years, two or three years now. And the community, the fruit really, um, of, of what God is doing in our community is people are now, um, people are now saying that they feel a part of a family that this is, they, they refer to this, this, this is my church. Now they never attend a Sunday service. They don't even attend our, no, we don't have a Sunday service for them to attend. Um, they don't attend our, our midweek gathering. Um, that's, that's not really the, the place where, where they are right now, but, but this is their church. And, um, you know, when they see God providing food for us, that's what they acknowledge it as. Like God has provided food for us because, um, we pay for only a fraction of our food every week. Um, we get a delivery um, through a, a, a national charity fair share, but uh, the supermarkets um, kind of give us excess food. People just drop off foods um, and clothing and, and all of that sort of thing. They, um, but they've discovered a place where they feel apart, and you know they're really happy to 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 see that as God at work. In our community, and, and these are, are people of no faith. These are people of different faith. So we, as I already said, yeah, we have um, Hindu um, volunteers. We have Muslim volunteers. Um, the irony is that our Muslim volunteers spend more time at the church than they do at the mosque. Um, you know, and and you know, it's wonderful, and, and they readily acknowledge it, that this is God at work in our community, and uh, you know. The stories that come out about people who who find answers to some of their questions. We've had health check, 
health checks today um, provided. Um, you know, we've had debt support. So people are, are experiencing freedom from debt. Um, people are receiving money because we have benefits advisors who turn up who are able to advise them about those benefits. And, um, you know, our, our volunteers say, this is amazing what God is doing in our community. Um, are they ready to come join a formal congregation at this point in time? I don't think so. I don't think so. But um, church is happening um, in our community on a regular basis. You are describing what we would call the, the reweaving of the torn fabrics mm. of that community. And so I wonder, I don't know the answer to this question, but as you've been talking, all the time in the background, there's been a band playing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kids and it's a mm. band and it's percussion and it's Friday night. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what's going on and what kind of connections that might have to this story that you've just told. Yeah. So um, we have the, the Croydon Rock Project um, <laughs> are in our main in our in our main hall. It used to be called the Sanctuary, and we we disposed of that name, and um, we just call it the main hall now. So um, yeah, we have a, a group of so we've got the the little ones in right now. They're being taught how to play rock instruments uh, and rocking it out on a Friday, and then we've got uh, we'll have the, the teenagers in a little bit later, and tomorrow. Um, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday will be a boxing gymnasium uh, where kind of right from from the, the youngest kids through to adults will um, learn the noble art of boxing. And <laughs> um, so there's all sorts of things. I mean, this, this, you know, what, what God has done in this community is he has, you know, he's, is, is made the buildings that we have and the buildings we see as a blessing to our community. This is not a resource that we can keep to ourselves. This is a resource that needs to be a blessing to our whole community. And it's just full of life. When I arrived here 13 years ago, um, we had a Sunday service and, and, and maybe a midweek Bible study. Um, now we have a boxing gymnasium and gymnastics and rock projects and um, all of that sort of thing. And, and it's, it's brought the building um, absolutely to life and provided um, fun <clears throat> fun and you know, activities for the whole community, which is just amazing to see. That's oh, a great gift, yeah. Well, it feels like a, a big part of this is um, people accompanying other people mm. in the struggles of their daily life. It's, it feels very much about relationships. Mm. It's simple. It's simple, but sometimes some churches find this very difficult mm. to achieve. And they'll say, you know, what can we do? You know, how can we re replicate what he's doing? Mm. What would what would you say to to people who are thinking like that? Like, don't try and replicate what we're doing because you can't. There's no point in trying to replicate what we're doing because um, you're not me and I'm not you. Um, you know, that's um, you know. I, I often uh, I often get visits from, you know, kind of local church leaders and, and that sort of thing who want to see what we're doing. And I'm like, whatever you do, do not do what I'm doing because um, my community is not your community. Go and see where God is at work in your community. Go spend that time and listen. Get to know your community and, and allow the Spirit of God and the people who are present there to speak to you about 
what it is that you know <clears throat> what is God doing in your community because the chances are um he's not doing the same things the spirit of God is not doing the same things in your community as he is in mine um you know this is what God's doing here you know and um go spend that time getting to know people I mean that's that's 101 stuff for me is you know if you don't know your community if you're not spending time with them if you, you know i've spent many an hour sitting on 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 the the curbside just talking to people and kind of hanging out um in shops and in coffee shops that sort of thing just getting to know people and uh, and then kind of hearing what the spirit of god is and seeing what the spirit of god is doing in our community so um yeah whatever you do don't try and emulate me because you are not me um, just go and join God. One of the things that we we reflecting on in this in this podcast series is about Egypt, the concept of leaving Egypt. You know, bearing in mind that um, it is said that some preferred to stay in Egypt because they didn't like the idea of living, you know, in true freedom with God. Um, and it seems to me that what you're doing is a story of the kingdom, and you're. You're showing people a way forward, of a way of well, not you're you're not showing them, but God's showing people who are getting involved with you, and the way that this church community is evolving, of a way of living together. The leaving Egypt part is also that the isolation between the church and the community is is being overcome, and so the the captivity of the churches to their own life and their own thing that that's it's broken down and that that that's an amazing leaving egypt that that's going on and yeah yeah absolutely i mean um i am so relieved um that you know i get to you know be a part of just a wonderful church who you know who are up for this um and um you know, and just with this incredible community who is just so vibrant and alive and you know and and every you know, on a regular basis i remind myself of what that guy said in that meeting that the uk is spiritually dead and and i look out into my community and go you are so wrong you know you are so very very wrong my friend and um that it just needs us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit of god is saying I think that's a wonderful place to bring our conversation to an end. Nick, yeah. that's been amazing. Thank you yeah. so much for spending time with us. Nick, it's been just a delight listening to the ordinary, humble story of a group of Christians like yourself and your people rediscovering God in their community. So thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Leaving Egypt. We look forward to you joining us again on the next episode. In the meantime, you can find out more at togetherforthecommongood.co.uk And you can find me on alanroxborough.com And do check out Leaving Egypt on Substack too. This podcast is brought to you by Together for the Common Good and the Missional Network. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you've liked what you've heard, Please subscribe wherever you'd normally listen to your podcasts and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. So that's it from us. I'm Al Roxborough. And I'm Jenny Sinclair. 
Thank you so much for listening. God bless and see you soon.